0: Thank you for helping prepare our hearts through song. A couple things that I did not mention. Um, One is, we've mentioned this on our Wednesday night classes, um, at least in our adult class here in the sanctuary. We're trying to, and this may sound a little worldly, I hope it doesn't, but the people of the world use the Internet to locate churches. And so we're trying to boost our ratings just a little bit. And if you can go to google.com, there's a review section there. It's very simple, very easy to just give a review of Laurel Hill. We appreciate your honesty there, okay? You know, you can say the church is great, the preacher's not much. Whatever you want to do is, is fine, um, but we would appreciate you doing that, okay? You can also go to Yelp, Y-E-L-P, and do the same thing. Just search for Laurel Hill Baptist Church, and uh, that will help. Again, people who are moving into the area now, which this is growing tremendously, first thing they do is look at the Internet to figure out what church is close by. And uh, as you do, I'm sure, when I buy something off of Amazon, first thing I do is look at the reviews, and it sways heavily. So if you get these black marks all the time, you know, you're probably not going to buy that, right? Well, we don't want people to think that about our church. So this is something new we're doing. We just want to make sure that we're doing it the right way, okay? So if you could help us with Google and Yelp, and then also like us on the Facebook page. Make sure you go to the Laurel Hill Baptist Church Facebook page. Share it with everybody that you know. And uh, So we can reach as many people as we can possibly reach. And I hope that that will resonate with you according to the message we're going to hear now this morning. But let me mention one other thing, and that is, as pastor, I feel necessary often to just say thank you to what you do to make ministry happen. Uh, Many of you have worked very, very hard over these last many weeks and months, especially concerning the yard sale and all the helpers that went with that, the bake sales. Even the people who have not had their names mentioned uh, God knows who you are and the work that you've put into that and all of that is necessary, it goes into the work of the Lord. And so I think Neil told me this morning, nineteen hundred and twenty what? it keeps like getting like this I was there. Okay, awesome. This was for the yard sale, right? Yeah, praise the Lord. Now, that's not just to go in our pockets. The whole purpose of the yard sale is to uh, build up the playground back here, and we're wanting to do that to make it an outreach, and it is. In fact, yesterday morning, while you all were doing the yard sale, I walked outside and talked to a couple families who just moved in over here and said, oh, thank you so much for giving us a place to have our children to come play. And, of course, we're wanting to use that as a way to reach into their hearts as well. So it's, it's making a difference. And so these are not futile attempts. There is a plan behind them. And our goal is to reach people with the gospel. All right? So please know from my heart to you, thank you for what you do. Thank you for your energy and your effort. Thank you for your prayers. Many of you just don't have the physical ability to do certain things, but thank you for your prayers, okay? And let's remember each other, uh, because as we're talking as much about spiritual warfare in this seminar coming up, uh, again, we know that spiritual warfare is real, and we must, we must, we must go out of our doors every day, and I want to say this carefully so you understand what I mean, go out of our doors every day wearing our spiritual armor, if you look at Ephesians chapter 6, let me just read this. this. is not the text this morning, but I want you to hear this again. Paul says at the end of his letter to the church in Ephesus, Finally, be strong. And he's just given lots of instruction. In the first three chapters, he gives doctrine. In the second three chapters, he gives practical instruction on how to live out the doctrine. And so he's telling the church, Be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. But listen to how he writes this. The next verse, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up. And he goes through the armor of God. Listen, as we pursue the Lord, as we pursue souls and try to rescue them through the power of the Spirit and God's holy word and the power of the gospel, Satan is going to attack us. He is going to level his attacks. And notice how Paul says this. It is not our flesh wrestling with each other. That's what he wants us to think. He wants you to get mad at me and me to get mad at you and you to get mad at the person over here and this person to get mad at that person over there so that he can step, step back fat, dumb, and happy and say, look at my wonderful plan. I am dividing them in the middle because they're mad at each other. Now, I'm not saying that's happening. I'm saying we must be cautious as we're doing great things for the Lord. We're attempting to do great things for the Lord. We must wear our spiritual armor, right? You follow what I'm saying? It is critical. Now, let me reemphasize this point. It is not just walking out the door in the morning. The idea what Paul is saying here is that we must never take it off. You never take it off. You don't go home at the end of the day and say, take my helmet of salvation off. I can put my shield of faith down. I can lay down the sword of the Spirit. I can take off my feet of the gospel of peace, the shoes of the gospel of peace. I can take off the belt of truth. No. Because the moment you do that, you've just made yourself spiritually vulnerable. And we all know, at the end of the day, we're pretty cranky. Debbie and I had a babysitting job Friday night. And a little boy we were watching over here in Hollymead, Forest Lakes, he looked at me one night, uh, right before he was ready to lay down, he said, yeah, I'm pretty cranky. I think I'm just going to go to bed. (laughs) He's four, right? It was hilarious. His dad said, that sounds like an old man comment. (laughs) Where would that come from? It was so out of the blue. It was funny. But, you know, we get pretty cranky in the end of the evening. So when we let our guard down, when we're sick, when we don't feel well, our flesh comes out and Satan just has a field day. So let's guard ourselves. Let's guard ourselves for each other's sake. Amen? All right. That's a sermon in itself. We could pray and go home. But we're not going to do that. Because you're so hungry to hear the word of the Lord. that that's what we're going to do now. Okay? So anyway. All right. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this blessed place. This blessed place. Lord, many, many, many years ago, you had it on your heart to call a group of people together and create them as Laurel Hill Baptist Church. And we are the recipients of those dear saints' work. And so we thank you and we praise you, Lord. As we often have brought up, we are in this place purposefully, strategically by you. Thank you for bringing us together as a group, as a body, a member of your body, that we collectively work together together that we want to live in unity, or that we are quick to offer our forgiveness and our uh, sacrifice of humbleness so that your name is lifted up. Lord, what we're going to see again this morning from your word is the reminder that the whole purpose of the church is not only, although that's enough, to glorify you, but it's to reach others so others will come to know you as Lord and Savior. So, Father, help us to hear this morning. We certainly lift up those that are hurting this morning, especially our brother and sister, John and Rosemary. We don't know much about the details. they were in a car accident. And while they're gone, seem to be okay. But, Lord, we do miss them and pray for them. And the many others that have gone through surgeries this week, our sister Nancy and um, uh, Brother Danny having knee surgery coming up on Friday and and just others, Lord, who I don't want to leave anybody out. But, what others that uh, Miss Ann... We lift these folks up to you today and just ask that you would glorify yourself through theirs and our sicknesses, our weaknesses, so that your name may be magnified. Open our hearts, we pray, Lord, now to your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so, we're in Matthew, so let's stand and read through our text today, Matthew chapter 4. I want to read from last week, verse 12. And then we'll pick up on our text today, which will begin in verse 18 through 22. So this was from last week. The people, this is Isaiah's prophecy, who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land in shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's where we were last time. Now for today. Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, and in the boat was Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. All right, praise the Lord. You may be seated. Now, if you just want a simple outline, as I've done the past couple of weeks, look at your bulletin there. And you'll see a brief sketch of how these verses lay out just in a biblical context. So let's talk about the first one, the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus beginning there in verse 17. I just want to review a little bit so that we're clearly understanding what's happening in this context. So Jesus has now come. He's been born. we will reiterate all of what's happened in the first few chapters. But now he is beginning his ministry, his personal ministry. What was once started by John the Baptist... As a message of repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus now takes over that because he's the true king of the Jews, right? That's what Matthew's whole point here is through this letter, is that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. He is the king, and he's writing mainly to a Jewish crowd. The king who has come to call people out, and listen to this because this is going to be the theme throughout this whole section. He has called people to come out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Okay. Now interestingly, we found out last time, Jesus didn't go straight to his people in Jerusalem, but he went where? Remember? What did he do? He went north, right? To the place of the Gentiles. And that was because he had a mission there, on as he left there and went up into Nazareth, got in trouble there by the Pharisees, went on up into Capernaum, And that's where we find Matthew picking up some of this. So as Jesus now picks up this message, because again, it was really the only message, same thing that John reiterates. Look at verse 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now the question must be, what does Jesus really mean by this? What kind of statement is this? We know that John was not the king. So what does the king really mean by this? Well, I think it's pretty obvious. He's saying that the king, therefore the kingdom... Is now here. It'd be like Jesus in front of us today saying, Hey, the boss is here. There's nothing else to, w- else to wait for. What you've been long anticipating has come. And any person who wants to be a part of this kingdom then must turn from his or her sin and sinful ways. That's the entrance to this kingdom. There has to be a change of mind, there has to be a change of focus. A change of attitude, a change of heart, the whole change of direction. There must be a spiritual change from darkness of sin into the light of God's truth. This is not a difficult message. But isn't it interesting how we need to hear it over and over again? Because we become entrapped in our own sinfulness and our own flesh, right? You experience that sometimes? Everybody just shake their head. Yeah, you do. Because if you don't believe that, somebody who knows you will tell you that. Because they watch, they know, they see. We're the ones who need to see. It's the desires of our own hearts that run into the darkness. That's what our flesh wants. We want to be a part of this dark world. But God is saying, no, you've got to turn from that. This is what repentance is. I'm trying to explain to you what repentance really is. It's not just turning over a leaf, it's not just making a decision. It's a literal changing of the heart to follow God in all ways. I want you to miss these words. In every way, in thinking, in our emotional state, in the way we feel about things, the way we interact with one another, the way we process things, everything is to take on the shape of the light of God. And I fear, beloved, that that's often where we fall short. We constantly battle this. Many people don't have what's called a biblical worldview. And a biblical worldview is simply nothing more than saying everything in my life, everything in my life is filtered through the lenses of God's holy word. That's what a biblical worldview is. Whenever we're encountering some kind of decision or some kind of issue in life, we immediately say, what does God say? That's filtering through the biblical worldview, the the scriptures. But if you examine your own heart, you'll see like I am, I often don't do that. Try to, want to but we fail. This is what Jesus meant when he was saying you must be born again, Nicodemus, in John chapter 3. You must be born again. There must be a change in your soul. You've got to be made new, back into the image of what God originally created you to be. But you've got to be a part of this. And that's going to become a very key part of everything that we're going to see here in just a few minutes. The joy of all this, new light and new birth, is available to everybody. There's not one soul that's left out of this privilege, no matter who you are. That person who acknowledges from their heart, not just the head, their sinfulness. Says, Lord, I need you. They accept the fact that their eternal destination, and listen, the eternal destination is in a devil's hell. Unfortunately, people just don't want to accept that. That's Satan's work in the mind of people of the flesh. It was hard enough for us who are in the light now to accept that. Do you remember the days where you walked in darkness? And the things of God were His foolishness? Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Because that's what God said. The things of the world or the things of God are foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is truth. I'm paraphrasing there that's basically what the lord's saying so the lord's saying confession comes by saying hey lord i need you i understand my desperate desire for you in my heart and understand the penalty for my sin and that you paid the debt for my life you're the one who bought me out you're the one who rescued me you were the one who was buried and you took up your life again and on the third day you were resurrected that's why we're here celebrating right Again, let I me mean, just keep you emphasizing this week after week. I hope that you're here today, not just because it's the Sunday thing to do, but because you've come to worship God and honor him for rescuing you. I hope, in fact, that you'll take this uh, path, and that is as you struggle through something in your week-to-week moments, that you'll be able to step back in your spiritual mind and say, you know what, Lord, if I don't handle this perfectly or if I don't do this as well as I know I should, but I'm trying I just want you to know, Lord, I'm so grateful that you've saved my soul for eternity. Because one day we're going to be free from this place, right? But while we're here, the Lord says, you have a job. You have something that you have to do. Now, we need to understand in the context of this whole section that as Matthew is writing to the Jews... The message of the kingdom of God was foundational. They understood that. We've talked about this numerous times, especially when we are in the book of Revelation. They believed that God would establish a kingdom that the kingdom was coming one day because it was written all throughout the Old Testament. But they missed the true meaning of the kingdom of God. They thought and expected it to be a literal place there on the earth. And this is what we learned a couple weeks ago too is that if the Jews had truly accepted Jesus at the time he was here, there would have been no need for a church age. Now this was all in God's divine providence, but there would have been no need for a church age because the king was here, right? When the king's here... You don't need anybody else. That's what I was saying a minute ago. But they missed him. They didn't understand. They were looking for an earthly king to rule over Rome and all of their enemies. But Jesus came to rule over their hearts and to change their ways of life and their spiritual thinking. So Jesus' message is, hey, the kingdom has come because I am the king, the sovereign ruler of the universe. Not only the king of the Jews, but the king of everybody. And that's why he heads to the northern part of Israel, not only to reach the Jews, but specifically to show that he is the king of all people. He is the king of the universe. Now, at this point in Matthew's account, Jesus' message basically is, open your eyes, Jews, Hebrews. I'm the king that's been promised. And when the king is present, the kingdom is present because he represents the whole thing. So again, pay attention, Jews. And we could say the same thing to us now. Pay attention, Pay attention, church. You hear that underlining and undergirding everything in the letters that Paul would write and Peter would write and James would write and Jude would write is, listen, pay attention. You are part of the kingdom. You are a king. You are a child of God. Live like it. Function like it. Act like it. Live your part. Don't get caught up in the things of this world. That's why we have the, the instructions that we do. Your salvation has come, not necessarily the physical, right? We're going to die, but our souls have been redeemed. One day, if you remember back in Revelation, what's going to happen? During the time of the millennium, Christ is coming back, but who's coming with him? We are, the saints, and we're going to rule with him for a thousand years over this world. That's when he establishes his kingdom, the physical kingdom. But for now, it's a spiritual kingdom that we are part of physically. So when we die, we go to be with him. That's true. No doubt about it. But one day, we're going to live in a new physical body. And I won't go back through all of that. You can listen to Revelation study if you want to pick up on a lot of that. We cover that in great detail. Now, we've also learned, according to Matthew, that Jesus went into the regions of Israel that, as I said, were least likely to encounter what we would think preaching this very message. And why did he do that? Because he was very specifically looking for men and women. He had a plan in process. Jesus wasn't just bouncing around like a pinball inside of a little machine being bounced around because people were after him. This is the God who is the sovereign one of the universe. He had a very specific plan that he was doing. And amazingly, he would go to the people, and this is the part I love, He would go to the very people that were the most rejected in life. The people that you and I would even say, eh, not sure they're the best fit. You know, we kind of have that plan in our mind of what should work here and there. And if we were God, we would probably say, yeah, Lord, I don't know about that person. I mean, I've lived with them for a long time, and I know what they're like, and they're just not going to work real well. And it seems like the Lord just says, yeah, that's exactly the person I want. That's exactly who I want. I want the person who has nothing to offer. I want the person who believes that they are without hope, without me. The person that understands that without the power of the Spirit in them, they have nothing to give to humankind, and especially back to God. That's who Jesus came looking for, the downcast of the world. And guess what? They did see when the king came. You know how we know that? Because of what we just read in verse 16. Go back to it. Matthew brings up Isaiah's thing. The people who were sitting in darkness, what happened? They saw. They saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. Christ came. And they saw. That's what Isaiah is saying here. So when Jesus came to them, they saw who he truly was and they believed. That's the message God has given And that's the message that they believed and that's the message that we preach. That's the message that Jesus preached. And that's why over and over every week we say the same thing. Christ has come to pay the price of our sin. And why is that message continually needing to go out? Because unfortunately most people, many people never really believe it. You know how we know they don't believe it? Because their lives just don't reflect it. A changed heart will reflect what's really deep in it, right? Remember the old saying, what's in the well comes up in the bucket, right? If there's mud in the well, what's going to come up in the bucket? Mud. When the Spirit of God has done His cleansing work through the power of salvation, what's in the bucket will be spiritual life. It'll be the life of Christ. And so the message continually needs to be repeated so our hard heads will hear and we will be penetrated with the truth. All right, now the message of the church, let's talk about that. That's next in your outline there. According to the book of Acts, was that many, many were being saved. If you look in the early days of Acts, and I want to read this for us this morning to see this beautiful picture here, many were rescued from darkness when Christ, after he was resurrected, he sent the Holy Spirit upon the disciples at the time of Pentecost. And many people were hearing the truth. Let's read that together here in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. This is Peter preaching this amazing, amazing, powerful message. And let's not forget now, we're going to look at Peter in just a second. But Peter was that guy, right? that really people struggled with. He was that bold, brash guy that was probably the least likely to be preaching a message like this at one point in his life. But this is after the Spirit of God had changed him. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Can't you just see them there? Pretend I'm Peter for just a minute. And you're hearing him in this uh, oration say this. Jesus the Nazarene, that guy, the man attested to you by God, It was God who showed you who he was through miracles and wonders and signs. It was God who performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. And he's saying to them, look, your hearts are confirming this, right? You know that this is truly the Jesus, truly the Messiah. This man, there's his humanity, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Listen to this. Watch this merging of the two. God's perfect plan, God handed him over, but you nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. You say, what? That's right. What's God saying? He's saying, it's my plan to send the Savior into the world, but you have a responsibility. I'm holding you accountable for your response to him. That's where this weaves together. Man's responsibility and God's work. But, God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it is impossible for him to be held in its power. Praise his name. Now jump to verse 37. Because Peter goes on giving them more information about Jesus. Now watch their response. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. That is a powerful statement. It was like a dagger in their heart, where they felt the penetration of their wickedness. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Boy, what a heart cry. What a heart cry. What shall we do? Peter said, here it is. Repent. Isn't that what John the Baptist said? Isn't that what Jesus said? Repent. Why? For each of you to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. No, he's not promoting salvation through baptism. He's saying you need to be immersed in Christ fully. For the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you, and guess what? Your children and all who are far off. Who's that? That's you and me. Everybody coming down the pipe. As many as our Lord God will call to himself. There's his work. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who have received his word were baptized, and there were added to the church about 3,000 souls... They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Beautiful. Beautiful picture. That was the start of the early church. It was a soul penetrating message from God. And notice, there wasn't any smoke and mirrors, no fancy lights. This was just a man named Peter. We'll see later a fisherman. A guy who was most unlikely to be called just delivered the message of the gospel and 3,000 souls were converted. You see, we don't need a lot of stuff. We need an open heart. We need the power of God working in us. Now listen, sadly, unfortunately, that message in many ways has faded and I'm talking about in the church. The power of that kind of preaching has faded greatly. What was once a message that was well well received has become very dulled in the listening ears of many people. It's not because the message is different. The message is exactly the same. The problem is the hearts of the people. The dullness of people's heart or it's just at least less important because we know that the hearing of people has grown cold in many ways. Look at the empty seats. Now I'm not judging people. Many people are just sick, and they're out, and that's just life. But how many people live just in our community right here? I meant to actually look at the numbers this week to give an illustration here. But just think about the number of people that live right here around the church within a, let's even say, a quarter-mile proximity. Our sisters have handed out a couple hundred, three hundred flyers probably by now, three-fifty. 350 flyers, and they haven't come close to touching everybody that's around us. So the people are here, but many of those people are kind of cold in their hearing to the things of God. Is the message different? None of the message is not different, but people need to hear the message. Now keep that in your mental block there. People need to hear the, me- the message. The messengers of the message of salvation have lost, in many ways, their spiritual urgency and that's true now listen I'm talking to my own heart but the messengers of the gospel the people who have been given this beautiful message just like Peter have become comfortable in many ways in their lifestyle in the ways that life just processes us and we just don't carry with urgency the message of salvation Peter was bold when he said to that crowd look you want to know what's happened here The Spirit of God Himself has fallen upon the hearts of these people and they're pierced in their heart and they want to know what they need to do about it. It was the message of the gospel. Loving this world, the things of this world have become a priority over people's lives spiritually. More than loving the Lord, the one who has called them out of darkness into light, who's given them the ability to hear, and to then be the proclaimers of salvation. That's the merging of our job with the Lord's Spirit. Do we become the messengers? Again, it's just because of this lack of urgency. Souls rescuing has been replaced with, in many ways, with more of a concern for what we want in this life, what we personally want, what's important to us. Instead of seeing every soul as precious in the sight of God, every soul needing to be redeemed and rescued, You see the biblical worldview there is that as we go through our day, we don't just see somebody mowing their grass in the neighborhood, but we see a soul that needs to be rescued. We don't just see a coworker that we have a struggle with, but we see a soul that needs to hear the gospel message. That's our responsibility. And that's what we're going to see with Jesus here in just a minute. Let me give you, I want to read an illustration here that just so in my mind encapsulates everything we're talking about right now at this point. Let me just read this, and I hope you'll listen to this carefully. Maybe you've heard it before. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks were frequent, a crude little life-saving station was built. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat. But the few devoted crewmen kept a constant watch over the sea. With no thought for themselves, they went out day or night, tirelessly searching for any who might need help. Many lives were saved by their devoted efforts. But after a while, the station became famous, and some of those who were saved, as well as others in the surrounding area, wanted to become a part of the work. They gave time and money for its support. New boats were bought. Additional time and money, excuse me, additional crews were trained and the station grew. Some of the members became unhappy that the building was so crude. They felt a larger, nicer place would be more appropriate as the first refuge of those saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots with hospital beds and put better furniture in the enlarged building. Soon the station became a popular gathering place for its members to discuss the work and to visit with each other. They continued to remodel and decorate until the station more and more looked on, took on the look and character of a club. Fewer members were interested in going out on life-saving missions, so they hired professional crews to do the work on their behalf. The life-saving motif still prevailed on the club emblems and stationery, and there was a liturgical lifeboat in the room where the club held its initiations. One day, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in many boatloads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty, bruised, and sick, and some had black or yellow skin. The beautiful new club was terribly messed up, and so the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside where the shipwrecked victims could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities altogether as being unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. Some members insisted on keeping life-saving as their primary purpose and pointed out that after all, they were still called a life-saving station. But those members were voted down and told if they wanted to save lives, they could begin their own station down the coast somewhere. As the years went by, the new station gradually faced the same problems the other one it had experienced. It too became a club, and its life saving work became less and less of a priority. The few members who remained dedicated to life saving began another station, and history continued to repeat itself, and if you sit excuse me, if you visit the coast today, you'll find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters, but most of the people drown. But that is a very, very accurate picture of the church of Jesus Christ. It was very startling to me when I read that, and I thought, our people need to hear this, Lord. Because what was once started as a small group of men under the leadership of Jesus that was willing to give their very lives to rescue souls in many ways has become a country club. It's become a comfortable place. It's morphed into a place where people would rather just be warm and cozy instead of doing what the Lord has really called us to do. To remember what he's done for us. To remember that we were the ones who were drowning in the sea of sin when he came along and snatched us out and put our feet upon the solid rock of Christ, right? But somewhere along the way we forget all of that and we give up on what we really should be doing. And we get lost in all the things that the world provides for us and unfortunately the church loses its effect. So the early church had one objective. It's true that they wanted to honor God and to worship him and they wanted to reach others, but one writer put it this way, fishing men and women out of the sea of sin was their priority. That's a great statement. And by the way, even in the face of great persecution, these men and women lived in a day where the government, it wasn't Donald Trump. It wasn't Obama. It wasn't Pelosi. It wasn't anybody else. Listen, this government took your head off. This government lighted you on fire as a torch for the streets. This government killed your children because of who you were. This was a ruthless dictatorship. And we hear the message of God, go out and win souls. And these men and these women literally gave their lives for what they believed. Sadly, I think, again, we have turned into just the opposite. So listen again to the priority God has for the church as it's always been. It is to rescue souls. That's the priority. Yes, we're here to fellowship, we're here to pray together, we're here to have our Bible studies, we're here to enjoy our cups of coffee in the morning together. I was so excited this morning when the lady saved me a big cake-size chocolate chip cookie downstairs because they know that I love those chocolate chip cookies. And I said to them, that's not a cookie, that's a cake. And one of the ladies said, yeah, I almost told him at Panera, boy, I, I'm afraid to tell you this is for our pastor. I said, tell them, I love chocolate chip cookies. Listen, that's not the purpose, is it? That's not why we come. We have a message. The message is that people need to be rescued. And the church will never stop that message. The true church never stops that message because that is the priority that Christ gave. And you say, How do you know that? Well, let's look at what God said. John three, seventeen. You know John three sixteen? Okay? For God so loved the world, right? He sent his son. Look at the very next verse. A lot of people don't know 3.17. For God did not send the Son into the world to what? To judge the world, but what? To save the world. The heart of God is to save people. That's why Jesus came. How about Luke 19.10? For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke 5.31 Jesus answered and said to them it is not those who are well who need a physician but those who are sick. I have come not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Luke 15.4 What man among you if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. That's the message of God. How about the prodigal son? I was just talking to somebody this morning. Beautiful picture of the same thing. It's the whole emphasis of God. Luke 15, 32. At the end of this, the Father said, We had to celebrate and rejoice talking to the brother who was irritated. For this brother of yours was what? He was dead, but now he's what? He's alive and was lost, but now he's been found. Do you see the heart of God? The heart of God is for His people to worship Him, but to go out these doors... And to speak the message of the gospel into lost and dying souls. That's what his message to us is. And it's always been that way. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3. When he's talking to Satan after the temptation. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head. That's Jesus. And you shall bruise him on the heel. In other words, in the beginning, right after the initiation of sin, the message of God was, no, Jesus is coming to rescue people, Satan, and he's going to trample your head. And you're not going to be able to do anything to him. It was the heart of Moses in Exodus 32, 32. If you will forgive their sin, Moses talking to God, and if not, blot me out from your book, Moses says, which you have written. That was Moses' heart for the people that were so stiff-necked and rebellious. I was just talking to the ladies in the kitchen about this. I was reading in Numbers chapter 11 this morning where Moses says to God, the people are coming to me and they're complaining because they don't have any meat. And I can't fulfill that. I can't give them that. We got 600,000 people here, Lord. And he says to God, now listen, if this is the way it's going to be, then take me home now because I can't endure this. And so you know what God does? Okay. I'll fix that. He says, Tell the people they'll have meat. And God rained down quail through the wind to the point where the meat was almost three feet deep. Listen, the birds were so thick in any direction that you walked, a day's journey. Now I don't know how far you can walk in a day in the desert, but you just kind of estimate that yourself. And that's how deep the birds were. Now whether they flew and they swatted them down, I don't know. But the text says while the meat was still being chewed in their mouths, the Lord got angry because of their rebellious hearts. But Moses' heart, in the midst of that people, said, Lord, kill me if you don't save these people. You know, David Brainerd only lived to, I think it was 29 years old because he wore himself out sharing the gospel. 29 Many people have come and gone who were martyrs for Christ because they had one heart, which was to share the gospel, because they saw souls that needed to be rescued. Here's another one, Proverbs 11.30. Very simple. The fruit of the righteous is this. It's a tree of life, and he who is wise does what? He wins souls. It's the mind of God. God wants people to be saved, and we, the church, are the ones called to do that work. You say, okay, well, how do we play a part in God's saving souls? I thought Jesus built the church. He does. But that's the merging that we talked about earlier. He uses us as a part of his toolbox to do his work. And it's a beautiful thing. If you think about the life-saving picture there, people are saved from drowning because certain brave people went after them. It's the same thing spiritually. They People spiritually... Physically, take like these life rescue people, take their lives in their hands, go out into the darkness, the crushing waves, the cold waters, the frigid temperatures, to rescue drowning people. They took it upon themselves. And notice I said they took their own lives in their hands. That's a foundational, fundamental truth of walking with Christ. As much as a rescue worker, and I started thinking about rescue rescue workers who work to rescue people. Aren't you thankful for people that show up at your house if you need them? My oldest son is one of those rescue workers, and we were talking about some things and just the other day. And I'm constantly amazed at how people will complain. One of the biggest complaints the fire department gets in Charlottesville is, you're driving too fast. One guy was driving the truck, and he was sitting in an intersection, and the and he yelled, he's walking on the street and, and he turns over and yells at the guy for driving too fast, the firefighter. Well, he's trying to get somewhere to help somebody. These people endure all kinds of ridiculousness. Now, they're not perfect people, I'm not saying that. But you think, you know, it's kind of nice. I mean, can you imagine if the fire department said, hey, you've been complaining a lot. Sorry, your house on fire? I'm not coming. I mean, Imagine. The job of the rescue worker is dangerous, it's treacherous, it causes life possibilities to be vanquished. You think about the EMT workers, all those people, the police officers, the military, those of you who've served in the military putting your life on the line, you do it for one reason. You don't do it for the paycheck. I mean if you did it for the paycheck you're probably more crazy than anybody else. You do it because you know that God has called you to do that kind of work, and we're forever thankful for that. What about the soul that needs to be rescued? What about the eternal soul that needs to hear the message of the gospel? Listen, people's eternal lives depend on it. It's true. Eternity is at stake. It's not just a Missing of the neighborhood or a chance to live in a bigger house or something else, people's eternal souls are at stake. And it takes people to go. It takes you and me to go, to be willing to go, to give of ourselves, to save others, which, by the way, may mean we lose our lives in the process. Again, how many rescue workers? Think about the Twin Towers. How many of those precious people? Gave of their lives trying to get to other people to save them. They knew that. Every person who works in that kind of field knows when they go out on every call, this may be the last time they come back. But they're willing to go. Interesting, isn't it? Would you do that for thirty, forty thousand dollars a year? Would you? Would you sleep 24 hours or be at, a, at, a, at the fire station for 24 hours several times a week? or however long the schedule may work to go out for something like that, if you didn't believe that souls were worth it, that people were worth it, I'm just trying to make an illustration for us how much more important then must it be to rescue souls, the eternal souls of men and women. But it's got to start with us, God's people. We've been rescued, so we go out and rescue. Someone wrote it this way. I love this illustration. A stationary foghorn has its value. Think about the lighthouse. That's a valuable piece of property, right? Miss Ann has a house loaded full of these little toys of lighthouses. She grew up in a lighthouse. Her dad was a lighthouse caretaker up in Maine. And so the value of a lighthouse to a ship going by is priceless. But here's the thing. Listen to what the writer says. A lighthouse has its place, but nobody ever got rescued out of the sea by a lighthouse. People get rescued out of the sea because people go into the sea to get the people. People. The lighthouse has its place. But there needs to be people that go out in a similar way. I could say here this morning, I can scream and yell at you and preach all day about the message of the gospel, but you know what I become? I'm just the lighthouse, flashing. And you come in week after week, and the light's just saying the same thing. But God is saying, you got to go out and get them. A message preached is awesome but the message is only going into your ears right now. What about the people that are out there? Who's going to tell them? Well, that's kind of back to what the lighthouse, I mean, the the people in the, the rescue place said, oh, we'll just hire some people. That's Pastor's job. That's Amp's job. That's Scott's job. No, it's our job. Collectively, we work together. John MacArthur said this. He said, the sick soul needs more than a lecture on medicine. I found out this week and last week, because I've been going through some back issues and some other issues. Sometimes, he says, you need a personal prescription. The doctor walked in the other day and never met her before. She walked in. She said, hello, introduced herself. And I said, Doc, I sure am glad to see you. I didn't know her from anybody. But, boy, she was the best person in my mind that minute because I needed the help. I mean, it wasn't just enough to say, "Oh, Forest Lake's medicines right over there, awesome." I had to go, and the doc had to come in, and we had to have a conversation. You're getting the picture, right? I hope you are. We got to care enough to do something about the with the information. We're not to be hoarders of information. We got to do something with it. Now, you say, I suppose somebody could say, "Well, Jesus could save anyone by Himself, and He does do that," as I've already mentioned which is what he's doing, but he uses people. And that's where we get to the text this morning. We're going to be going through this quickly now. I wanted to give you all of that up front so you understand what Jesus is doing. Notice he's very specific about who he chooses. That's purposeful on his part. Let's look at the text of um, even Acts 13. Back to Paul's message now. In Acts chapter 13. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you repudiated and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Well, that's a powerful message, isn't it? How would you like for me to say that to people at times? Well, you're the ones who just throw it off and don't even listen to it. That's what Paul's saying here. So we're turning away from you folks and we're going to the Gentiles. But listen to how they responded. For the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And here's one to rattle your cage. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life, believed. God had called them. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. John 15:16, Jesus said, You did not choose me, but I chose you. Listen, church. He chose us and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. He's bringing us into this picture. Everyone who is born again is commissioned with rescuing souls. Every one of us. There's not one person left out of that. That's why he chose us from the foundation of the world. He chose us. You think that's special? Have you ever thought about how special you are? He chose you from the foundation of the world. You. You're chosen to do God's work. God's looking at you this morning and he's saying, I chose you. It was purposeful. I knew what I was doing and I had no problem with it. I made you specifically. I called you. You responded And now I've commissioned you to do the work that I've called you to do. Peter said this, 1 Peter 1, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why, Peter? Glad you asked. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There it is. Notice Peter said, I didn't call you so that you can just go live comfortably in your neighborhood. I didn't call you so you can just enjoy your fellowship. Yes, that's all part of it. I called you so that you will proclaim me. That's your purpose. That's why you're here. For you were once not a people. In other words, you weren't saved. You weren't my in my spirit was not in you, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So go do it. Make that your mind. Serve me. Now listen carefully. How are you going to proclaim the eternal message of truth if you're not in the game? Let's just use a sports illustration here. How are you going to be in the game if you're not going to practice? Every coach knows this. Every person who's ever coached any team has said to the players, okay guys, look, you've got to show up for practice. If you don't come to practice, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to put you in the game. Why is that? Inevitably, somebody shows up and says, sorry coach, sorry coach, couldn't make it. Okay, I'll sit on the bench. What? You didn't make practice. I can't put you in the game if you don't know what you're doing. Right? Everybody else suffers if you don't know what you're doing. Years ago, I played basketball, and there were many times I started on the bench. Did you get that little phrase there? Started on the bench? Okay. Just think about it. You'll get it later. And then it came to me. If I wanted to be in the game... I needed to do my very best at practice. Now, listen, I was already on the team. I had the uniform. I was there. But I needed to get in the game. And the only way I was going to get in the game was if I practiced. And I did what I was supposed to do. You see, many people are in the game. Rather, excuse me, on the team. But not many people are in the game. You know, it's said that 95% of Christians, 95%, have never led somebody to the Lord. 95%. That's a staggering, I don't even want to believe that statistic. But that's, I'm sure, probably true based on how people run statistics. Maybe it is, maybe it's not, but who cares? Even if it's 10% off, 20% off, it's pretty staggering, isn't it? For people who have been rescued or profess to be rescued by the king and are not in the game. Yeah, it's fun to wear the uniform. It's fun to warm up. It's fun to tell everybody, hey, I'm on Alta Vista basketball team. But boy, how much better is it to see where you were actually in the game and you got some numbers on your name and you actually contributed to it. I hope you understand what I'm saying. I'm not throwing off on the guys who just try, but they never quite do that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just making the point here. You say, well... How do you practice when it comes to spiritual things? Well, you've got to be trained. And this is what we need to work on as a church, and I'm admitting that. We need to practice. We need to be trained on what it means to be soul winners. We need to go through some training. And we try to do that on Sunday school. We try to do that on Wednesday nights. We try to do it at other times. But we need to be more purposeful and specific on this kind of thing. All right, now, that's the introduction. I knew you'd be excited about that. Let's just go through this real quickly. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother. And you know what they're doing? They're casting their nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So Jesus is on the north of Israel. He's just strolling along, stumbles upon Peter and Andrew, right? Right, thank you. He does not just stumble upon them. We've already learned that now. He finds them purposefully, and their occupation fits perfectly. Because he said to them, Hey, guys, you're fishermen, but I'm going to make you fishermen. I'm going to convert you. I'm going to train you. And for three years, they lived with Jesus, and he trained them. And they were horrible. I I mean, think about it they lacked humility. They wanted to be the best in the kingdom. They were, at the end of their days, they were horrible in the prayer meetings, right? They fell asleep when Jesus told them to stay awake. They were obnoxious. They didn't believe. They just were a mess. But Jesus chose them. He had a purpose for them. This commandment to follow me really means Come here. In the the original language, there's a word inserted in there. That's the word "after" for us in English. Now, it's not here in our translation, but if you looked at the original language, the saying really Jesus was making was, "Your place is to follow after me." That's your place. When He said, "Follow me," He's saying your place is to follow after me. Okay, this was their commandment. That's important to understand because each of us has to start with salvation. And then we follow him. The first step is we have to believe. And At some point we hear God's command to us. He saves us. That could be you this morning. And then we follow him. This was actually the second step. What appears to be the first step here was told to us in John chapter 1. These men had already been saved. Now Jesus comes and says, Okay, now I want you to follow after me. It's the progression of the coach. Dribble the ball. Learn to pass. Learn how to make a shot. And then we'll go to the next step. It's the same thing in the spiritual world. Number one, you've got to be saved. Number two, then, you hear the call to follow him. Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. John 15.8, For my Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit... Titus 3.8, you are to engage in good deeds. Titus 2.14, you are to be zealous for good works. And then it goes on to be more specific than that. And some of you have found this to be true. There's the third call where Jesus calls us in a specific way, such as a particular ministry. Some of you have felt that. Or to a specific place. God's called you here. And you see all that in the scriptures. And again, remember, these guys were nothing special. But God called them. Now just interestingly, interestingly, historically, Josephus says that, just to give you an idea how many people there were, at one time on the lake there were about 214 fishing boats on this little lake of Gennesaret, or the Sea of Galilee, same thing. That's a lot of boats and a lot of fishermen. So why did Jesus pick Peter and Andrew? I have no idea. I mean, he could have picked anybody. But he didn't. He picked these men. Because he has a plan. And the point is, he picked you. Why did he pick you? I don't know. Why did he pick me? I don't know. He picked us to reach others. It was strategic on his part. He knows what he wants to do with you. I mean, again, you might say to Jesus, but I'm the wrong guy. I'm the wrong lady. He said, no, you're not. No, you're not. I picked you specifically. And we see all of that in these disciples' life. And he says, notice this, I will make you fishers of men. I'll make you everything I want you to be. Your responsibility is to obey. Just obey me. Can you just think about that for just a minute? I want you to be, I'll make you everything I want you to be. Look at your life right now and ask yourself this question. Do I really have anything to offer God? Probably not. I mean, if we were tallying the score and we all stood ourselves up here and Jesus walked by, we would be, right? Hope he picks me. And we'd be doing our best to have him notice us. But he doesn't need to do that because he already knows our hearts. We just serve him because of what he's done for us. Jesus came to us one day and he said, hey, you need me to save you. And now that I've saved you, I want you to go out and I want you to serve me. say, why did you do that? Why did he do that? Because he sees something in you. He sees it in you. And he wants you to be a part of the process. Notice what they did. Verse 20. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Immediately they left. Immediately they left. And they never looked back. They had been changed. And I could give you some other illustrations. There's one about a guy who, over the course of his life, purchased 147 prime, pristine violins that were handmade. And you know what he did with them? He never played them. He never showed them to anybody. They were found after he died, stuffed away in one of his closets. Never played. And the illustration simply is there are many Christians who live their lives like that. They stuff themselves away into the closets of life and are never playing the music of the gospel. It's tragic, isn't it? Can you imagine Missy and Hamp and Christian and whomever else plays the drums and these singers if they never use their talents for us? I was over at the nursing home, excuse me, at Rosewood, and it's really funny. I've been blessed to have these two guys, Missy and Hamp, come, and I've told them, I said, these people put up with a lot because when they're not there, I have to lead the singing. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's harmful for me. One of the ladies, we call her Miss Kitty, she often will say, I don't think we're ready for the road yet. (laughs) I said, no, ma'am, I don't think we're ready for the road yet. One day, one lady said, you know what, while we were in the middle of a song, she said, maybe we should just read the words. (laughs) I said, yes, ma'am, you're probably right about that. So we've joked about that almost every time we go. So every time these two guys come, now I'm like, you guys are blessed. You can be excited now. All right, now listen. Let's go on. Let's finish this. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending the nets, and he called them, and immediately they left their father and followed him. So let's be clear. Just because Peter and Andrew were chosen first, now watch how the flesh works. Just because Peter and Andrew were chosen first, did that give the other boys the right to be miffed at them? You understand what I mean? Here we're finding out that James and John were chosen second. Well, the flesh would say, why would not Peter and Andrew? I mean, I should be doing that. That should be my job. Am I not as good? Does the Lord not think of me the same way? Oh, I know what it is. It's Peter's fault. It's Andrew's fault. We don't see any of that in the text, but we will see that. Remember when they come to Jesus and say, "Hey, Jesus, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom?" (laughs) What? That's not for you to know. That's not important. What was to them? Because that's what the flesh does. That's just a little bit of a side note. These men, like Peter and Andrew, had been saved. And Jesus called them. So, this wasn't a a cold call. They had been saved, and now they were moving on to their next phase of life. But there needed to be a conscious decision. They personally had to make the decision to follow. And what did they do? Notice the text they left their father. Now, just picture that scene for a second. Working with dad maybe all their life, mending the nets, every morning out to the lake early. This was their livelihood. This is what they did, they didn't know anything else. And Jesus comes, they've been saved, their hearts have been changed, and Jesus says, hey, your job now is to come and follow after me. And all we're told by Matthew is, John covers a little bit more, but Matthew says, and they followed immediately. They just simply obeyed. And listen, can we just summarize it all by saying, that's the ingredient to following Jesus. If you want to remember anything at all from all of this lecture, it's simply this, obedience. Obedience, 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 obedience. Flat out obedience. That's the key. You just say, Lord, I'm just going to follow you. Why? For what he does for us? No. Simply because he called. Let me close with this. Stephen Curtis Chapman, many years ago, if you remember that name, wrote a marvelous song. It's called For the Sake of the Call. And it talks about this very setting here in Matthew's gospel. I'll read this and then we'll pray. He writes, We will abandon it all for the sake of the call. No other reason at all but the sake of the call. Wholly devoted to live and to die for the sake of the call. And he talks about the disciples. Nobody stood and applauded them. Imagine that picture on the lake that day. So they knew from the start that this road would not lead to fame. All they really knew for sure was Jesus had called them. And he said, come follow me. And they came. With reckless abandon, they came. Empty nets lying there at the water's edge told a story that few could believe and none could explain how some crazy fishermen agreed to go where Jesus went with no thought to what they would gain. For Jesus had called them by name and they answered. Drawn like the rivers are drawn to the sea, there's no turning back for the water cannot help but flow. Once we hear the Savior's call, we'll follow wherever he leads because of the love he has shown and because he has called us to go, we will answer. Not for the sake of a creed or a cause, not for a dream or a promise, simply because it is Jesus who called. And if we believe, we'll obey. We will abandon it all for the sake of the call, no other reason at all but the sake of the call, wholly devoted to live and to die, For the sake of the call, we will abandon it all. It's good words. Let's pray together. Father, a long message. It's normal for us. Lord, how we hear your word and we just long to sit at your feet more and more. Lord, I pray that in the hearts and minds of every brother and sister here today, including myself, that you would place in it everything you want us to remember. Unfortunately, Lord, we understand that we won't remember all of this. As the weeks go by, we'll forget. But Lord, I pray that through your power, you will help us to remember what you want us to remember this moment, at this place in eternity. So that when the moment comes, we'll hear your Spirit speak to us the truth of your word that we've heard today, and we'll respond to it. Well, remember that maybe we need to drive a little slower, we need to take a little bit of a different turn, or we need to pause for a second longer to seek out a soul that needs us, that needs to hear the message. Lord, give us the wisdom to know how to approach. Give us the wisdom to be quiet, to be still. Help us to be patient. But Lord, help us not to be so patient that we become a club, that we become a people who are zealous for good works reaching souls but I pray that the power of your spirit in the hearts and the minds of each of us would not allow Satan to overwhelm us that we would keep our spiritual armor on that we would love each other with the love that you've called us to love one another that we would not be easily irritated or distracted by each other or the events or the causes we would keep our focus on one thing serving you and reaching others Lord thank you for this thank you for these men that you've called Peter and Andrew and James and John so far Lord thank you for Matthew thank you for the illustrations Lord help us to remember everything that you've taught us today Lord for the soul that's questioning their salvation I pray that you would open their mind and heart to understand Lord that they would hear your call that they would see that you died for them, that you paid the penalty for their sin, that on the third day you rose again to give not only yourself eternal life, but them eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.